You know, um, what was beautiful about that song is, it, you know, today is not only Father's Day, but it's also Juneteenth. Juneteenth is the celebration of when the emancipation, the news of the Emancipation Proclamation reached the last known slaves in 1865, all the way in Galveston, Texas. And we clap. Because we know that human beings were never meant to be owned by another human being. Because we are children of God. And all of us with dignity and honor because He gives us value. And we are, He has called us so that we might become children of God. And as we were even singing that song, you know, you split the sea. What's that from? When God liberated the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and brought them through to freedom. And so, you know, being Juneteenth, I also, like, I want to pray because there is still, there's still millions of people enslaved around the world today that it might be in law in our nation that another human being can't own another, but there's still plenty of slavery happening in this world. And while we celebrate that we have dignity and honor and we are loved because God knows who we are, I also want to take an opportunity as a church to, before we get into God's word, just to pray for those, for the injustice of slavery around the world. Can we? Lord, as we celebrate and as joy fills our hearts that we are your children, that we are not slaves to fear or sin, and we're not slaves to another human being. God, that the gospel of Jesus declares that we have eternal value. God, we recognize at the same time that there are many men, women, and children around the world right now who are enslaved, who are, could potentially be in, an, in certain work situations where they have no rights. God, I pray, and I don't want to just pray, God, but I, I want to act. But for now, I pray, God, that you would please bring about justice on this earth. Thank you for all those men, women, uh, children who, who are fighting to bring freedom to those held captive by evil and unjust people. Lord, I pray for the repentance of the slave masters in this world. Lord, I pray that, that you bring about more just laws in our nation and across the world, God, so that, so that we would be people who, who, who see real change happening. And Lord, may you continue to burden our hearts for this just as it burdens yours. Because it's one thing to proclaim we're children of God, but Lord, may, it also, may we also match these words with our actions. But sometimes, God, it's overwhelming. I don't know what to do, but will you show us how can we, we can be a part of a movement of freedom across the world? So Lord, as we celebrate you, may we also carry your heart and lead us in your freedom. Let's sing that final chorus again together. Just we're no longer slaves of fear.
thank you and praise you, God, that you made it known and revealed to us your heart for all humanity. May we receive your love this morning. May the lies of the enemy that tell us we have no value or that we're somehow less than, may you silence those in the presence of overwhelming truth. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Man, we have a good God. We have such a good God. And, uh, you know, in addition to it being Father's Day and, and Juneteenth and Baptism Sunday, thank you, um, we are also, <laughs> because we can't cram enough into this, we're also starting doing a fresh dive, a new dive into a New Testament book called Ephesians. Now, guys, like, just prepare yourselves, okay? Like, the book of Ephesians, it has been rocking me, and I, I, as we're going to dig into it all summer long and continue to wrestle with it. I encourage you, if you don't have something that you're reading and, and at home, to pick up this New Testament book and begin to study it for yourself. We're going try to try to send out emails this week with resources that can help you study Ephesians more on your own, um, but, but it is going to be a joy uh, to study this book with you guys. Now, it's called Ephesians because it was originally a letter from the Apostle Paul to a community of Christ followers in the ancient megacity of Ephesus. Now, most likely, Paul wrote this letter while literally chained to a Roman guard in, on house arrest in Rome. But he wrote it to this group of Christ followers in a city that was second only to Rome in population size, at least as far as what people knew in the world at that time. And it's located, Ephesus was located on the western edge of Turkey. You can actually go and see the ruins of Ephesus today if you wanted to. But in Paul's day, it was the premier city in its area. It was home to the temple of the goddess Artemis, which was declared one of the seven wonders of the world at its time. Ephesus was a city of power and pleasure, wealth and pagan worship, superstition, sexual perversion. And when you think about a city like that, at first glance, you're like, this doesn't exactly seem like fertile soil for a new church. But Acts 19 records how Paul spent two, perhaps even three years there. And from his faithful ministry, God brought about a new community from within that city of people following in the way of Jesus. In a city whose values and lifestyles were, were so different from those Jesus calls us to live. I mean, just the fact that Paul has a community of Christ followers to whom to write a letter, like, that's a, that testifies to the power of Jesus and his gospel. There is no geographical area or culture too difficult for the good news of Jesus to reach. There is no heart too calloused that his spirit cannot break open. There is no stain of sin that his grace cannot cleanse. Do you guys believe that? And Paul spent two to three years there because sometimes you've got to take some time. I'm just continually working and being faithful and praying and ministering to people. But we'll see God work. And Paul did see it. 
And sometime after he was in Ephesus, he writes this letter affirming to them that what God did and was doing among them was not only real, but it was glorious. That they were in fact made alive with Christ, united with Christ. And if united with Christ, therefore united with one another to be a new kind of humanity in Christ. And that is what this letter is about. It's celebrating what God has done, what he is doing, and declares what it means to be a new human, a new community in Christ, even in places like Ephesus. And you know what? If God could do that in Ephesus, do you believe he can do that here north of Boston in 2022? I'm going to ask that again. (laughs) If he can do it in Ephesus, do you believe he can do the same here north of Boston? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Because to believe and follow Jesus means that all parts of our lives are becoming like him, including what we value, how we live, and how we treat one another. And that means that that we, as we follow Jesus, become a a counter-cultural, not against culture, but a very different kind of community, showing the way to life and hope and truth. And as we dig into this letter which unpacks all of this for us, and we look at it week to week. We're going to begin by looking at the first 14 verses, seeing what is this reality of God. What has he done? What is the good news that brings great joy that is for all people? Because as we dig into this, guys, Ephesians is no dry textbook. As we open our ears to it, My prayer is that we all hear Paul's words like an ongoing song of joy. That his words here in the beginning are an eruption of joy. They begin in verse 3 with praise. And they end in verse 14 with to the praise of his glory. Like God has done some amazing things and Paul can't get over it. And now he's sharing that with us. So let's dig in together. Starting in Ephesians 1 chapter 1. Um, verse 1, excuse me, uh, to verse 14. Uh, If you want to open the blue Bibles in front of you, we're on page 946. If you don't have a Bible at home, uh, this Bible in the pew back, that is our gift to you. Take it home. I just encourage you, study Ephesians with us. If you are going to take it home, dig into it with us. But we are Ephesians chapter 1, 1 to 14. And as we read it, Don't just listen for the words. See if you can also hear the emotion in Paul's voice, the joy as he writes this. Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will, his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves." 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him... We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption, that is the freedom of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Lord Jesus, take your words and, and, and move them to transform us. God, may we not just hear information today, but may our hearts be filled with joy today in, in the great news of what you have revealed to us and what you have done, what you are doing, and what you have promised to do. We love you. We praise you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer in whom we trust. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You know, when we get amazing news, we can't help but talk about it. Right, this past Thursday night, uh, my younger sister had her first baby. And I've, I've been telling everyone who will listen, all right? Everybody. Because that's what we do with good news, right? And Paul here is declaring the greatest news possible. He's saying God's plan in history was once a mystery, but now he has made known his purpose in Jesus. And Paul can't get over it. He can't get over it. He's telling everybody. Can you, I mean, could you hear his excitement when we were reading that t- together? And why? Why does he just erupt in joy here at the beginning of this letter? Because God's plan over history is no longer hidden. But where does it begin? Where does it begin? First, before time began, God the Father determined and wanted us as his sons and daughters. Paul may have been chained to another or to a Roman guard while writing, but just joy freely spills all over this page. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You know, we, whenever we think about God, we can't help but wonder, well, who is God? Is there a God? And what does God think about me? How does God see me? But in Jesus, the God over history broke into history and made all of that known. Now it's clear that it's been God's plan all along to choose us, even before the foundation of the world, to belong to him and to be like him. Do you realize that? That's what his word says. In love, he goes on, in love He predestined us as adoption, as his kids. In the Roman Ephesian world, adoption to sonship meant that that you were entitled to the privileges and all the blessings that come with being a biological son or daughter. 
that when God called your name, it was not with the whip of a taskmaster or the gavel of a judge, but with the heart of a father. And I know that a lot of us in here, you've had broken examples of fathers in your life. And maybe the word father isn't even a positive word to you. But, but when you see this and allow the reality of who God is, perhaps that can revolutionize our understanding of what father was meant to be. And on this Father's Day, do you realize that God's table in the heavenly places has a seat with your name on it? And all of this, Paul says, is in accordance with God's pleasure and his will, meaning it's God's joy and desire to call you his own with the unconditional love of a father. And then in the grand scheme, and I, well, first off, let me say, like, sometimes when people read passages like this, he predestined this as adoption, they, they start saying, well, did God choose me or do I choose God? Like, like what, what, is this, is God, is this just God's sovereign plan, those who belong to him, or, or is there any measure of human free will in following him? I don't know. <laughs> let, me, let me just start there. I don't know. I'm not sure how God's sovereign plan and our human will collide together to, to ultimately follow and belong to him. Is God sovereign over all things? Yes. yes. When God calls your name, is there some element of our decision to follow him? Yes. yes. Otherwise, it's, it's forced. It's not love. It's forced. But my, my caution here is when we read passages like this, don't get so caught up in that kind of thing that you miss the joy here. Don't miss the joy here. Because we're reading this and we're getting all caught up in our heads and we're missing the joy, we're missing the point. That before you were born, before you did a thing, before you chose him, God the Father chose you and reached out to you and initiated towards you. And as our Father... He chose us to be in a son or daughter relationship with him so that we would grow up like him. Holy and blameless, Paul says. And why can Paul just not get over this? And why is this something that, frankly, I don't know we can get over ever either? Because the same God who founded the earth runs after you and me as a father. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a story of a father and two sons. And one of the sons decided to run away from the father because he didn't want to live under his father's roof. Uh, he didn't want to live according to his father's pleasure and will. He wanted to chase after his own pleasure, his own will instead, and thus ran away. And that son's story has been my story and my bet is it's been a lot of our stories. Because sometimes we'd rather chase after our own happiness and live for our own glory. We'd rather determine our own truth that makes us feel good. We'd rather live as our own gods, chasing our own sense of satisfaction. But we realize that the story of the gospel, God is the subject, not us. God is the center, not us. And sometimes we don't like that. But eventually, the son who runs learns the hard way that there is no lasting satisfaction outside of the unconditional love of God. 
none. That all of our attempts to try to squeeze out the satisfaction that this world has, all of that runs dry eventually. But the love of God is without end. It is infinite. It is that of a father. It is unconditional, and it calls your name. And when that son was started his way back home, before he could even see the father, the father ran toward him, embraced him, and kissed him. And he does the same for each of us. That before time began, God chose you, wanted you to be his child. And there is no higher joy than when he is at the center of our lives, when we are under his roof. You guys tracking with me? But many of us struggle with this. I get it. Because we talk about this kind of love, but a lot of us, we don't feel worthy of it. Like, does God know what I've done? Can he really love someone like me? Remember, the guy writing this letter, Paul, literally murdered Christians. He could have easily asked the same question. But instead, his heart is overflowing with joy. What else does he say here? That our sin once condemned us. But in a wash of divine grace, the blood of Christ liberated us. Yes, God called us to him. But there was something standing in the way. And that was our heart of sin, that we wanted our own way. But perhaps you hear God, you hear me say, God chose you. God loves you. But because you carry a lot of guilt and shame, that just kind of hits you and bounces off. God knows the mistakes I've made. So how can he possibly love me? God may run to others, but I I have a hard time believing he would ever run to me. After all my screw-ups, how can I even look him in the eye? Surely I have to clean myself up at least a little bit before God would actually want me. And if that's you, hear these words again. For those who hear the gospel and believe it, he says, in him, Christ, we have redemption. That means freedom through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So to the guilty, to those covered in shame, to those under the, a steady barrage of, of accusations, guilt, false guilt in our minds, it is not our actions that liberate us from shame, nor is it our efforts that pardon us from guilt. But it is only Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That is the gospel story. And Paul says that the gospel story, the good news of Jesus, it didn't happen so that we can can lead to the praise of our own noble goodness. But he says, but all of this is at the praise of his glorious grace. And when our sin declared us guilty... And we were unable to save ourselves from divine judgment. The Holy Son of God willfully went to a cross for you and for me. We can never earn or deserve such love. And this is why it's called grace. That on the cross, his grace was poured out for us all. And when the reality of God's grace sinks into us, it erupts out of us with joy. Not too long ago, my kids made one of those homemade volcanoes, right? 
and, and they put that vinegar in it, and then they put the, the, the baking soda and a little, like, boom, right? That's the picture that came to my mind as I was reading this. Because that's what happens when we accept and allow God's grace to sink into us. When we take off the veneer that we have to have everything together. When we, when we, when we stop trying to produce enough goodness on our own, then we can actually allow the reality of God's grace to sink in. And what's the result? An eruption of joy to the praise of his glorious grace. Just like that. Just like that. That when sin condemned us, Jesus carried our guilt to the cross. But now the weight of guilt and shame was no longer ours to carry because according to the riches of his grace, he lavished, isn't that a great word? Lavished his grace upon us. And when we believe and receive God's grace, together we become a new kind of people, don't we? So much of the Ephesian world, and it's true for our world too, we are it's just so stressed out on a treadmill of performance, always trying, striving to secure their value, their love, their acceptance. But we already have those things in Christ, don't we? He's already declared we have love, acceptance, value because of who he says we are. And when we know that's true of us, that means we are free to forgive. We are free to show his grace to others. And it's clear that his grace begins to mark out a group of people because gratitude starts to flow out of them. And they actually enjoy being together. <laughs> and they... And, all in the presence of God. And I see that in this congregation so many times. Don't you? Man, our prayer is that his grace just sinks in that much more and continues to transform us into the people that God would have us to be. And that's who we want to be. And that sounds amazing. But there's one more part to what Paul says. Because as we talk about the joy the gratitude, all these things overflowing out of us. We also recognize that life is hard. And while we want these things to characterize us, and they sometimes do, and we know that God shows us and he liberates us, some days fear feels more real than joy. Anger feels more apparent than gratitude. So Paul, where do we find joy or hope even in the darkest of moments? Well, he says this. He says, do you also know that you're not only chosen and redeemed, but we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is just the beginning of our forever joy with him. We are chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, but also when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That God calls our names, yes. And he has redeemed us by the sacrifice of Jesus from our sin. But that doesn't mean that we now have to live this life alone. But now he sends his spirit to live in us work in us, and work through us. And the very presence of his spirit, he says, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. What does that mean? Well, if you went back in Paul's day to the Ephesian marketplace, 
and you were looking to buy a big ticket item. I don't know, what, what, like maybe an ox, like r- <laughs> r- rubies. I don't know, <laughs> whatever you buy in the marketplaces back then. Big ticket. It costs a lot. But you don't have all the money with you. You can choose to give as a buyer, you can give the seller some very important object as a guarantee that you're going to come back with a full amount of money owed. So what Paul's saying here in verse 14 is the presence of the Holy Spirit within you is the divine deposit that guarantees your internal inheritance with God. You guys, you guys with me on that? You, you understand what I mean? What are we saying now? Because see, what, Paul, what God has promised is he says that, that yes, all that he's planned in time past, all that he's working out right now, everything is headed to a day and a time when God will bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. It's clear, God says, that's where we're headed. But today, amidst the pain, the difficulties, the battles, Paul's saying God is with you. His spirit is in you. And when fear and temptation loom at the door, we have the very spirit of God to give us strength. And when, when I sin and mess up, or the voices of people are always clamoring in our mind, we have the very spirit of God to remind us what is true, that we don't have to walk through these things alone. In fact, he doesn't want us to walk through these things alone, but that we have his spirit within us to remind us of who we are, that we've been chosen, we've been forgiven, and we have an eternal inheritance with him. That in his grand plan to unite all things in his joy, God chose us to be his, liberated us in Christ, and eternally sealed us with his spirit. And Paul can't get over it. And I can't get over it either. And all of this is the result of God's will, his initiation us. This is the grand plan that God is working out across human history. And when you hear it like you have today, and when, if you believe it, if you accept it, it's true, it becomes your story too. And in just a moment, we're going to celebrate the baptisms of seven people. You know, we try to make it clear that baptism is not how anyone is saved. Right? And baptism is not something we do to make ourselves more worthy of God's love. It is impossible to be loved any more than you are right now because you're already loved with infinite love. But the, baptisms of, the waters of baptism are a public, physical symbol of what has already happened spiritually in each of these brothers and sisters in Christ. Then when we say their names in just a moment. It is a picture of how God the Father first called their names. When we ask them, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And they say yes. It is a picture of how God is already at the center of their stories. And when they go down into the waters of baptism, it means that they have been washed clean of their sin. They've said goodbye to the old life and they've become a new life with Christ. And when they come out and we pray over them together, we are praying that the presence of God's Spirit would be so real to them in all seasons of their lives. So man, it is such a joy to be a part of this day with every single one of you getting baptized here. And we as a church, as we celebrate this with them, 
it means that we're also a new humanity in Christ growing with them as well as one another. That all of this, God is leading us to become holy and blameless just like Jesus. And his grand plan to unite all things in his joy, God chose us to be his, liberated us in Christ, and eternally sealed us with his spirit. So will you pray with me, and then we're going to call some people's names and get a little celebratory in here. So God, thank you, thank you, thank you (laughs) that before uh, we were even born, you knew us. And God, that in your heart of love that you called our names. And God, I thank you for the ways that your spirit has been at work drawing us to you. And I pray for fresh faith to arise in this room. If there's anybody in here who does not know you, they have not given their life to you, God, I pray that they will hear you today and hear this today as they call to them personally and that they will surrender their lives and make you the center of their story, knowing that they are forgiven, they are cleansed. God, for those in here who are struggling to know that they are forgiven, I pray, God, that something happens today, that your spirit moves on them in such a way that there is no doubt in their minds that they have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And may we walk always with an eternal hope, sealed by your spirit, the guarantee, the deposit of our eternal inheritance. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen.